All right, Pittsburgh, this is the Death Star here, and you are listening to MMA Fancast. Tune in. Oh, baby, what time is it? You're listening to MMA Fancast. Here are your hosts, Jim Mooney and Luke Payson. Welcome to the show. Today we are joined by Jacob Lowry, who, according to Tapology, is the number one ranked U.S. Northeast, Ohio, and Pennsylvania amateur middleweight and light heavyweight MMA fighter. So that's a lot of uh, distinction coming in. Welcome, Jake, to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, that's pretty impressive. You're, you're 6-0 and as an amateur record here, undefeated, and it's incredible to see how well regarded you are. I looked into a little bit because um, a 6-0 and record is good, but what's more impressive is your opponents. You fought very good opponents. I'm sure you know this. I'm just filling in our audience. Uh, Jacob's combined opponents, your op- combined opponent record at the time you fought them was 14 wins and four losses, which shows that you are fighting uh, very accomplished amateur fighters. So let's start there. What's it been like, your your MMA journey so far? What's it been like getting to 6 and out? Uh, it's been great. I mean, uh, I've always wanted to fight the toughest guys. I mean, I'm trying to make a career out of it, and I feel like you can only get that experience by fighting the top guys. So I kind of went out of my way to find those guys, and it all worked out. And luckily, I'm still 6-0, and and I'm doing well. Absolutely. And another impressive part, in addition to your 6-0 and record, is the fact that all of your fights have been between June 2018 and November 2019. So just basically a year and three months, you did all six fights. Obviously, um, Corona, I'm sure, threw off uh, this year. But you've got six fights in just over a year and a half. Um, what's, what's it like fighting that often when you were fighting? Uh, I actually prefer to fight more often like that. I was a wrestler for years. And, I mean, in wrestling, you're wrestling multiple times a week most of the season so i feel like that kind of gets you ready to compete at a higher level because you're you stay a little bit more i don't not fresh but you everything's fresh in your brain you're a little bit sharper you're a little bit more hardened from the battles and i think that kind of pays off if you can stay more steady sure Absolutely. That makes sense. Uh, Given your wrestling background, um, what has been translating well? I know there's obviously, we just saw DC Cormier, even though he didn't get the win, his wrestling pedigree as well as learning to kickbox really took him to the very top of the top, two-division champ, all of that. Um, what, What has it been like coming in with wrestling? I know that's a base, but there's also some challenges wrestling uh, gives you as far as maybe falling in the guillotines. How hard was it to learn what was effective in wrestling and MMA and also what you needed to change? I think every wrestler goes through some growing pains when switching to MMA. I think sure. I think one of the big things is, like you said, getting caught in chokes on your way in. I think another big thing, though, that a lot of people don't think about is the striking aspect. So in wrestling, you're on your front foot a lot. And striking, you're on your back foot a lot. 
your balance is kind of a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So at first you're getting hit with a lot of leg kicks. You're getting choked out a lot. I mean, it's obviously a little bit of growing pains there, but I think the fact that I had wrestling in my back pocket allowed me to kind of adjust to that pretty quickly. I think the work ethic part of it made that adjustment a lot easier. I think your ability to learn body positioning and different moves stems from wrestling, and I think that made jiu-jitsu a lot easier to catch on to. So I think those are kind of the things that helped me get through it and adapt to it pretty quickly. Well, thank you for giving your uh, your perspective. I think that's Yes, most people know of the chokes, but thank you for adding in some of the other transitions that wrestlers have to face. Speaking of transitioning from wrestling in jujitsu, and you're absolutely right. Wrestlers, you already know a lot of where the bodies are, and you actually use a Kimura in wrestling. You just can't complete it, right? You can put the person in that, but you can't use a two-hold arm grip to complete, right? Um, uh Correct. I think you used to be able to use a key lock, which is yeah, basically a Kimura, but I think they made it illegal in the past. Well, I'm like not sure wrestling. what happened there. But. Sure, but in wrestling, you're aware. I mean, there are submissions that you just can't use in wrestling, but obviously the main submission in wrestling, if you want to call it that way, I don't want to offend any wrestlers, would, would be the, the pin, right? That's your main submission. That's what ends the ends the match. What was it like working towards other submissions versus pins? Because I've seen wrestlers sometimes, they get somebody in a cross body or cross mount uh, position and the person's flat on their back, pinned in wrestling, but then in MMA, they still have to keep working. And sometimes you've seen, I've seen wrestlers kind of struggle to know what to do once the opponent would have been pinned. So what was it like learning that you have to do more than just get them on their back? Uh, I thought it was great, honestly. I think uh, having more options just opens up more things that you're able to do. Sure. I mean, in wrestling, it's, I mean, if you get a pin, you get a pin, but that's only one aspect, I feel like. There's obviously several moves you can use to get there. Sure. In jiu-jitsu, however, you can attack from any position. You can wow. attack from your back. You can attack from top. You can always move and always find some kind of opening. And I think that's what made it pretty cool. And I think that was the biggest difference was just knowing that no matter what, you had to keep going until the ref pulls you off. Absolutely. It gives you a lot of, it gives you a lot of more options. Obviously, that's one of the exciting things about jiu-jitsu. You use the body control of being a wrestler, body awareness. Some of the scrambles wrestles get into on a regular basis uh, really transitions well to MMA where anything can kind of happen. You've got to respond quickly, which is great. But speaking of options, and obviously the conversation is going to get there, which is options wise, your options open up even more when you get into the pro level MMA. But um, how many fights have you had at advanced amateur rules? And then we'll dig into that a little bit for the audience. And what have you liked about advanced amateur rules? Um, I believe my first fight was the only one that I did with novice rules. Okay. And that was because I fought in Pennsylvania, and then I realized that Ohio didn't really do that. So they allowed you to strike to the head on the ground, and pretty much it was the advanced amateur rules. So I believe my second fight forward, I was already out of the uh, novice rules and 
I loved it because the strikes just open up a lot of those options we were just talking about. I mean, you can have someone pinned down, but if you start throwing strikes, a lot of times they'll start kind of scrambling to get away. And when you get in those scrambles, that's where you'll catch a lot of your transitions into submissions and sure. able to advance yourself into a better position. Absolutely. It's also, if, if we want to talk about it on, uh, you mentioned the um, offense side, but also a defensive side that comes up a lot when you watch the UFC is if somebody is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, just incredible off their back um, and would be very, very dangerous. A lot of times the striking ability on the ground um, nullifies that. Not saying there's not legendary fighters like Damian Maya and others who have transitioned well, but a lot of times just like a wrestler has to transition, a jiu-jitsu guy has to transition from being in a situation where they can kind of maybe rest on their back or at least come up with a game plan. And you'll see that even in MMA, even at higher levels, you'll see jiu-jitsu guys that are used to holding and kind of coming up with a game plan. And then with striking on the ground, that kind of throws that off. You know, it kind of stops their game planning um, from developing, which I think can be very effective on the ground as well. So, your, your last fight was in Pennsylvania, but obviously it was, it was advanced amateurs. Does Ohio allow you to kick to the head when you're standing? It does not. Okay. I believe the only state around here that allows you to do that is West Virginia. And I think it is only on special events, but I'm not okay. positive about that one. But as far as I know, that's kind of how that one works. Gotcha. I do know that the Commonwealth of Virginia, which is, you know, not that far away. Um, I contacted them years ago, and they have a very unique amateur rule set. Their amateur MMA rule set from zero zero novice is a pro rule set, which is, I think, in some ways too much. I mean, we're talking elbows on the ground, uh, full knees to the face. I mean, everything you can do in, at least this is how it was about five years ago. I think it's still the same. In Virginia, everything you can do that the MMA pros do at the UFC level, uh, they do in Virginia to O&O novice guys, which I think can be a little bit um, too much. Um, But excitingly wise, you've been using closed fists on the ground, but you haven't been able to use elbows or head kicks. How have you been developing your game, particularly defensively, being a wrestler? Some wrestlers tend to drop their hands to shoot and kind of get their hands down low. Obviously, we saw that years ago with DC getting KO'd by John Jones, and that was something that crossed over from his wrestling days. What have you been doing in training? Not all the secrets, of course, but what have you been kind of drilling in training to take away um, any type of issues you might have when head kicks, elbows, and knees are allowed? Well, I've been, uh, from the beginning, I knew that I wanted to become a pro, and I knew I wanted to take this to the next level. So from the very beginning, I was already trying to spar with the pros and trying to get that knowledge. So I've been dealing with head kicks and all that kind of thing since the beginning, really. I mean, I feel like I've adapted to it pretty well. A lot of guys will ask you if if that's all right and all that kind of thing. And obviously, before my fights, I don't throw any head kicks. But I still urge the guys that I'm training with to throw them at me. That way I can become aware of them and be ready. That way it's not as much of a transition when I do go pro. Absolutely. That's a very disciplined, uh, congratulations to you for having a very disciplined mindset. I think one of the things that can happen in amateur is, 
in some ways, amateur MMA training is more challenging, not only because you're learning, but because amateurs, you have to decide when are you going to learn or train the next technique level, you know, and I think you're doing a great job training. I always thought it was smart to train at least one level up. So if you were a novice MMA fighter to train like one level up, which would be ground strikes. And then if you're at that level, which you are to train the level up, particularly when you think of, and, and, and again, this is not me trying to throw anybody under the bus, um, but when you think analytically, you think of uh, wrestlers at the highest level that charge in face down and eat knees, a la game bread, obviously. Uh, you know, that's a famous one and nothing to take away um, from him, obviously a great wrestler, but somebody who still had a very wrestling focused lean as opposed to more of an MMA style approach. And obviously things like knees um, can, can be a big deal. So when here you are now, you haven't fought since November. What type of changes have been going on in your life? I know you recently changed your gym. So talk about that. Have you changed your location? What's going on in your life since you last fought in November of last year? Yeah, it's kind of been pretty crazy and hectic for a while. I uh, I wasn't training for a couple months due to COVID. And then throughout that time, my coach ended up leaving and moving to another state due to the fact that he couldn't handle the bills due to COVID. I mean, he wasn't allowed to be open, so sure. I'm going to miss him. That was a big deal, but I came to the mat factory in Lower Borough. I actually moved out here, so I live about two minutes away from it, and there's some great guys there. I like the coach a lot, Isaac Greeley. He's a great guy, great coach, great mentor, and I think we're going to do some pretty good things together. I've been really adjusting well to the training out here, I feel like. And I think Pittsburgh's got something pretty special going on right now. A lot of the gyms are able to cross-train with each other, and I think that just adds better training partners, more training partners, and a lot different views, which I think is pretty necessary for what we're doing. I think you need to see as much as you can. So. Just trying to get acclimated to that and trying to gain all the knowledge I can. And it's, it's going really well. I'm feeling good about it. I can't wait to get back in there. Well, absolutely. Well, welcome to the area. I mean, the Pittsburgh area has a bunch of great gyms. And as far as cross-training goes, how often have you gotten around uh, the MMA Academy right now being really highlighted by Kama, the Death Star Worthy, and now his brother Chaka fighting well, he was going to fight for Bellator, but that got Scott Pachaka's fighting September 5th, uh, his third fight in the UFC. Have you gotten to cross-train with the academy at all? I have. I go down on Fridays when I'm not working, and uh -huh. they're really great. They allow us to come in, and Friday's more of like an open gym type thing. We get to go in and train with those guys, and it's been awesome. I mean, Tom is a great guy. I'm happy to see him doing well. If anyone deserves it, it's him. Oh, yeah. I think uh, those guys are just super good to have around because they're always teaching you stuff. They're always, it's kind of nice to see someone at that next level and see their mindset, see how they're training, see the things they're doing and try to emulate that a little bit. Absolutely. And speaking of the Matt Factory, the next level, is uh, Chris Dempsey still connected to the Matt Factory? Yes, he is. Okay. He's great as well. He's uh 
very insightful, knows a lot of different things. Uh, very good at working on the wall, which is something I think wrestlers have to kind of adjust to. I mean, in a wrestling match, there's obviously just a circle. There's no wall, so it's all right. open. I think yeah. that's kind of a big adjustment I had to make, and he's great for that. He's super knowledgeable, taught me a lot already, and I'm going to continue trying to learn from him and keep him better. And I figured the reason why I asked about Chris and absolutely, you know, his knowledge base being in the UFC before, but also your size. I, obviously, you're ranked both first in middleweight and light heavy. And I know Chris fought, I think, light heavy, maybe heavy at times, too. So I figured he'd be more of a size matchup for you. Speaking of size, when you think of potential, are you somebody who will take fights middleweight and light heavy? How often have you done that? switch in your six records or are you more one division than the other uh i think i'll be more of a middleweight fighter 185 than a light heavyweight i fought my first two fights at light heavy and then actually started training with adam milstead and seeing the size of someone like that at the next level at 205 was just kind of an eye-opener for me so i kind of made the move down to 185. I feel super comfortable there. I think my length, my height is a big benefactor for me at 185. I mean, I'm not afraid to take a fight at 205. I'm comfortable there as well, but I think 185 is where I'm going to kind of make my home at. Sure. And again, it's a good thing when we've been talking about your amateur career and obviously looking forward to your pro, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but um, it's, I think sometimes people miss the fact that amateur development, however that happens, is important because things like figuring out the size of the opponents, what it feels like to work against somebody at that size. Obviously, you've wrestled, but um, what, what something feels like in wrestling is different when it's striking or vice versa. So it's great that you've been getting that experience at both. And um, I've been having the opportunity to interview some fighters who are going to be fighting on the Dana White Contender Series, which is just a great series. Um, I think it's wonderful because they get to fight uh, after they've trained at their home gym. But the reason why I bring it up to you is here you are, you know, obviously going to be looking long-term. You've talked about pro, you've talked about making a career. How much do you gain from watching the Dana White Contender Series at the level of the fighters trying to get into the UFC rather than comparing it to just watching the main event pay-per-views? And have you noticed the difference in, in what you can learn from the fighters trying to get in versus maybe somebody at the at the highest level? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think the biggest difference I've noticed between the two is maybe the nerves. Sure. I think when you're on the contender series, you're obviously trying to make that push to take it to that next level. And I think there is a lot of nerves and a lot of uh, stress going on when you're doing so. So I think that was probably the biggest thing I noticed. And I think uh, there's obviously some stuff that people sharpen up as they get further into it. So you can kind of see people struggling with certain things still at the contender series uh, level. And I think that's something that kind of stuck out to me. So a lot of what I watch in that I'm trying to uh, perfect because I've seen how it's kind of unperfected sometimes. So I think that's where you can kind of capitalize and yep. make it to that next level. Absolutely. It's great that you're using the cerebral approach. You know, there's a physical side. Fighting will always have a, a, 
massive physical element and component. But MMA in the short 25 years since it's been together as a sport um, has really shown that there has to be a strong mental aspect, particularly in seeing how you can improve. I was just interviewing one of the uh, Kosi brothers. They're fighting tomorrow on the Dana White Contender Series. One of them is a headliner. Lewis is the headliner. And I believe it was Orion who's fighting uh, on that same card. I think he was the one that said, which I thought was a great mindset, that while he occasionally watches his opponents, and it's always good to know what your opponents can bring, he always rewatches his fights to improve on himself. And how often do you watch your fights to say, okay, I got away with it there, but I was sloppy there? Because I think something that comes up in the Dana White Contender Series is these fighters all have great records, great records. They're coming in the Dana White Contender Series, but some of their issues have gone unexploited because they've been fighting other people. And then here they get in and now some of those issues are exploited. So how often do you watch your fights to tighten up your part of the game? Uh, I've watched them a handful of times. I tried not to drive myself crazy with it, honestly, because if you watch it too much, I think a lot of the times you'll kind of get down on yourself a little bit, but I've definitely watched and I definitely I've seen a lot of things that I've tried to improve on and I like my favorite thing to do is watch my fights in order. Okay. So I'll see how much improvement I have made from my first fight to my last fight. And that's kind of a confidence builder to see that you are improving and see that there's obviously a lot more to improve on, but it's good to see that you're making a step in the right way. So I try not to get too bummed out about it. I do use it for motivation though. And, I definitely talk with my coaches about it. And if I see something that I know was not good, I definitely go out of my way to try to fix it. Well, and that's good for, for your mindset that you look more in pro progression. It's always important to know that no one's ever going to be perfect in a fight. And sometimes if people overthink it, that's the balance, right? I talk about being a cerebral fighter and the value of that, but there's also a problem of being too cerebral and then, uh, being too critical to yourself. As you transition out here, you got a job, you're working, at, you're training hard at the Mag Factor, which is great. What are you looking at as far as your next fight timeline? And then are you looking amateur or pro, or does it depend on the promotion and depend on what they can get you? Well, as of right now, I've been talking to my coaches. I believe we are going to take the next step to go pro. Okay. As far as timeline, I'm not positive on that yet. I still have a lot to figure out. I mean, I just moved here about a month ago, so I'm just getting kind of into the swing of things, getting my scheduling figured out, getting my trainings figured out. So we're just going to have to talk about it. And if an opportunity presents itself, I'm not afraid to take it. So we're just kind of going with the flow and trying to make it happen. I mean, as soon as something comes up, we're I'll talk to my coaches. If they think we're ready, we'll take it. If not, we'll wait a little bit. But I think uh, I think they would say we're ready to go. Well, and thank you, um, Jacob, for bringing up the, the concept of talking with your coaches. It's weird because if you look at other sports, you know, uh, team sports, we'll say football, go Steelers, um, it's just a different thing because you're either on the team or not on the team and the coaches kind of make a decision there. But in fighting, it's such an individual sport that fighters can take fights even if their coaches don't um, agree or vice versa. The coaches 
know the fighter's ready, but the fighter's not quite ready themselves. And so what's it like kind of being comfortable enough with your coaches to know we're doing the work. If they say we're ready to take a fight, I'm ready to take a fight. How does that, how does that feel being confident in that? I mean, that's everything to me. I mean, if I didn't trust my coaches, I don't think I would be comfortable doing what I'm doing. And I think, uh, luckily I've had two of the best coaches I've been around. And I think they're very trustworthy people. I think they are brutally honest with me, which is something that I really respect about them. I think the fact that they're brutally honest with me means that they care and they only want to do what's best for me. And that's how I uh, gained that trust in them. If they lied to me and didn't kind of tell, just told me what I wanted to hear, I don't think I would have that same level of trust in them. The fact that they're brutally honest, I think kind of means everything to me. It lets me know where I'm at, where they're at. It makes the whole process a lot easier. Well, absolutely. And at the highest level, I think we've seen when we talk UFC, we've seen the fact that the the best fighters um, not only win, let's say win championships, but they immediately talk about needing improvement, needing to talk to their coaches, thanking their coaches, being connected. And then, of course, we've seen some champs or very successful people kind of go the other way where they're not talking about development. They're kind of drifting from their coaches. They're not really looking at getting better. I'll bring up Stipe. Stipe. I really love him as a champ. And something he brings up all the time is just after his most recent fight um, is, you know, thanking his coaches. The coaches pointed out things I need to work on. I can always get better. It's always about development. And you kind of see that mindset, which I'm glad you're modeling that now in your career. And that never, that never really stops, particularly in a career like MMA, which is, which is wonderful. You said that you just got out of your uh, a month ago in a new job. How's, how's the situation outside of training and fighting? How's like the job? How's the new area? Like you, you're obviously balancing a lot. Uh, it's great. I mean, I love it so far. It's, uh, it was a little bit difficult at first. I mean, these Pittsburgh roads are pretty crazy. It's kind of hard to find your way around sometimes, but I mean, besides that, everything's been going really well. I've met some great people, love my training partners, love my coaches. I mean, I think it's going really well. I'm super happy, which is a big thing. Like you said, the mindset's a, a lot that goes into this. And I think me being happy is a big part of that. And as of right now, I'm super happy with everything and I feel good. Well, I think that's the great mindset. I've mentioned that several times in this interview that you're, you tend to have a, a pretty healthy, honest, humble mindset that goes a long way, along with the physical attributes. Uh, well, I didn't know a lot about where you were in your uh, career other than knowing your record, and I reached out to you, and you were nice enough to come on the show. So I'm glad uh, we've been able to catch up with you right in this transition time, you know, when you're leaving uh, amateur ranks, headed to pro ranks. I think it's a great opportunity to kind of catch up with you now and I look forward to having you back on the show talking about your your pro debut and and and, and kind of following you as you transition from amateur to pro and then throughout your pro career so I, I really like having you on the show this early um who are your your thank yous and people you want to acknowledge always want to give opportunity for that I'd like to thank my family I mean they're always behind me and that makes all of these transitions a lot easier. I mean, what we're doing is not the easiest thing to do. So the people around you 
are a big help. My friends, obviously, they're at every fight. They're always coming around to hang out with me. They're a big reason my mindset is where it is. It's crazy to have the support that I have. And obviously, my coaches, Isaac, my training partners. I mean, I got some of the best training partners around. And they're helping me out a ton. I mean, I'm just in a really good place where I'm at now. And all the people that are involved, want to thank all of them. I mean, I know we're going through hard times right now, but it's nice to see people kind of join together and help each other through that. And I think, uh, I think it's going to be good. I can't wait to make this pro debut and see what happens. Well, I'm right there with you, uh, myself, and everybody at MMA FanCast are excited to get to know you a little bit more, and I'm sure people listening to this interview either already know you and are your fans already and just want to kind of follow your career or maybe get to know you through this. That's why it's an exciting fact. I always point this out. As much as I watch UFC and Bellator and how important those organizations are, they won't exist without the, uh, the amateur circuit, the regional circuit, you know, all of those things. And sometimes the the expectation when people, whenever COVID lifts and people are able to go to regional MMA, I, I always beg listeners to spend the money, go to regional MMA that have amateur and, um, you know, earlier in their pro um, career guys, because even though there might be developing still has to be done, that's where the stars come. That's where uh, people get what they need to do to then go to the next level. I had the opportunity to watch comma. Um, and, and his brother and many others fight in the local scene. And sometimes you're, you're watching the local scene, you're around the local scene, and you know these guys can make it at Bellator or 1FC or UFC, even though at that point they're undiscovered. Then they make the big jump, and everybody's shocked that they do as well as they do that, that hadn't seen them. So I always encourage people to go out whenever, whenever uh, you have your fight. Uh, Jacob, I hope you have a lot of support and that people can kind of watch your career. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to follow you from here on out. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was uh, nice to get to know you guys a little bit. I appreciate it.